It's also good to remember that there are the sounds of many children that we cannot hear. Um, It's become very clear to us as a church that uh, right now there's a pressing social justice issue that I need to address this morning just before I begin the sermon. So the next five, ten minutes, rather than an illustration, it's a little blurb for a different topic, and it's this. We've been made aware by various requests to the elder board about two different petition drives, one of which is the heartbeat legislation, and the other is the dismemberment petition ban. And what both of these bills are seeking to, or both of these petitions are seeking to do is limit abortion with the eventual goal of making all abortions in the United States illegal. In fact, Michigan, our state, MCL 750.14, has a bill that does make it a felony to perform abortions in Michigan. However, since Roe versus Wade, Roe versus Wade um, after the first trimester, that has not been enforced. And so what we have now is a very sad situation in which in the United States, 3,000 babies are killed every single day. Since 1952, that adds up to 50, or over 60 million now. And so what's happened is this. A couple good people or several good people have brought before us these petitions, but they're different petitions, and they've asked the board if we as a church can support either one. And that was a really difficult question for us because as a church, we are pro-life. Make no bones about it. Make no mistake. We are pro-life all the way, and we believe you should do anything you can within the right limits of the law and morality to limit the impact of abortion. That said, um, even though we are pro-life, we are going to take a neutral stance on either of these positions. We are not going to support one or the other. We're going to leave that to you to decide which you believe is the most effective way of um, ending abortion. Essentially, what we want to do is, as a congregation, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to God's glory and in every way we possibly can support life. So, for example, in 1987, our church, five families from within our church started this thing that's now called the Life Clinic. We continue to be one of the largest supporters of that non-for-profit organization that reaches out not only to save the unborn, but also to their mothers and even the fathers. Tuesday night, like in a couple days, they're going to have their annual fundraiser gala, and I would encourage you to give big. Support life in every possible way. Now, immediately as I say that, I know that potentially one of the criticisms that would come forth is, ah, the church is being political. Look at her. She's, she's messing in the, the state's business, or she's getting involved in in culture and society. And the reality is this, as a Christian, our faith is holistic. If you think of our faith, don't think of it as an individual box that we pick up on Sunday mornings and unpack and then put away and go throughout the rest of our week. It's not something that we leave at the curtain of the voting booth and say, okay, now I leave out my faith and now I am political and now I am faith and now I... No, no, no. Christianity is holistic to such an extent that everything falls under the umbrella. So 
everything in our lives, we ask the question, what does the Bible say? We ask the question to that, to everything, doesn't matter, faith, sports, politics, anything. And where the Bible speaks, we speak, and where the Bible is silent, we make an informed decision to the best of our ability. We use the Holy Spirit, we use others, we use prayer, and we come to a conclusion. But when it comes to abortion, the Bible is abundantly clear. From the very beginning, God is the God of life. He starts out in Genesis 1 and 2, and he says, hey, human beings were made in his image, both male and female. And you know why that's a big deal? Because when we were living in Canada and our youngest daughter was in my wife's womb, they would not let me know the sex unless I filled out a specific form at the doctor's office saying I would not abort this baby based on her gender. Because in the spot where we lived, there was an ethnic and religious group that valued males more than females and would selectively abort based on gender. But the Bible says something very different. It says male and female were made in his image. And it doesn't stop there and say, well, you know, only perfect males and perfect females, but all people were made in his image. So it doesn't matter Down syndrome. It doesn't matter ability level. It doesn't matter anything else. All people are made in God's image. The highest pinnacle of creation is humanity because we reflect his image back to him. Therefore, any attack on the image of God is an attack or any attack on a human being is an attack on the image of God. And so the Bible is abundantly clear. And if that's not enough, it just goes on throughout all the pages of Scripture. Psalms tells us we are knit together in our mother's wombs. The prophets condemn Israel when they are sacrificing their children. John the Baptist recognizes Jesus when Jesus is in the womb. When Jesus is at a very early gestational age, this prophet immediately recognizes the person within Mary. Going beyond that, you would say that Jesus died on the cross to give us life. God is the God of life, and he gave his son so that our sons and daughters might have life. All the way through, there is no doubt, Scripture is abundantly clear, that God is a God of life. So we at Midland Free, in every way, are pro-life. We are not neutral on that issue. But we are neutral on which bill to support. So that is up to you and your conscience to decide. One thing you should know is if you sign the same bill twice, then you've nullified your signature. Make sure you know what you're signing. And if you have questions about the different bills and the routes in which they're trying to attempt to go, you're welcome to talk to any of our elders. Particularly, we have two legal experts on our board, and they can explain to you not only the legal ramifications, but also the political process by which things eventually become legislation so we at midland free are we consider ourselves um, non-political non-partisan we are christian but there are points at which our faith interacts with our culture so my hope is that someday my children will look back and say wow i am so glad this practice is no longer in effect like slavery like genocide it's a terrible thing that costs lots of people tremendous pain And how could we have ever let that happen? We don't know. But at least it's gone. And my hope and prayer is that our church will not remain silent in times like this. That we will not be like 
churches in Germany that were accused of being friends with the state, but instead we will be ones that make our voice known in a reasonable, Christian, godly, and loving way. And so in summary, I would say this. We are pro-life, but we're also pro-people. In other words, if you've committed an abortion, given the size of this room, no doubt there's probably someone in here who's been impacted by that in one way or another. Let me give this message to you. God loves you and you are welcome here. The only person you ever have to apologize to is God himself, not us, but him. And he is the one who can forgive you. And what he forgives, we will by no means hold against you. And so do what the book of Ruth tells us to do. What all of us need to do. Each and every one of us is to lament, repent, and rest. To come to the point where we see this tragedy, this horrible thing, and we say, oh, dear God, please help. Forgive us for our sins. And let us rest in you and your forgiveness of that. And so my prayer and my hope for you today is this, that it, it will become an issue for you. It is a big deal. In my opinion, it's the single biggest social justice issue of our time. Just the sheer quantity of it makes it a big deal. But I'm thankful for Life Clinic. I'm thankful for our Go Local team. I'm thankful for those who pray and encourage and support. And I'm prayerful that this practice will end. But until then, we as a church and we as individuals just remain faithful to proclaim the gospel and good news of Jesus Christ, that God is the God of life. Amen? Okay. All right, so that's where we um, pull that in for today. And you can, again, you can interact with our elders afterwards. Um, If you have questions, feel free to um, bring them up. But today we'll return then to the book of Ruth. Go to Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. And we'll move into chapter 2. And it's a neat, neat text. I used up my illustration time, so let me just set the stage for you like this. Um, <clears throat> what's happening is, I would call it, if, I have a question for the title, but I would just say if you're looking for a really short title, it is Mara versus the Almighty. Mara versus the Almighty. Here's this woman who's in this situation that she does not want to be in. She hates it. She's mad. She's upset. And she's shaking her fist at God. You know, Job is not the only one who does it. I'm not the only one who does it. You're not the only one who does it. We all get in this situation sometime in our life where we're like, God, what are you doing? That's Mara right here in Ruth chapter 2. So the question comes up just like that. In that way, with fist clenched, God, what are you doing? Or another way to say it is, how should I interpret the course of my life? Because there's good things that happen, and I like those. I'm ready to praise God. Woohoo! Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. That was just what I was hoping for. And then there's the other stuff. The exact opposite. And sometimes the other stuff, well, is more than that first one. And then when we begin to ask, Lord... What are you doing? Ruth chapter 1, we'll walk through it today like this. Basically in two parts. This is your roadmap or your bus stops as we go. The first is the struggle. The struggle that Naomi faces on these pages, but also the struggle that we face on the pages of our lives as well. 
and then the Almighty. Where is God in this? Is he to blame? Is he going to help? What is his part in this whole situation? And what we come to, the conclusion is this. Here's my theme. The struggle for our good is ensured by the Almighty. The struggle for our good is ensured by the Almighty. The struggle in the Almighty. The struggle for our good is ensured by the Almighty. So let's look at Rome, or sorry, Ruth chapter 1, <clears throat> where we pick up partway through the story. Her husband has died, her children has died, there was a famine. She went away for a while, and now she's coming back. She's got nothing left to live for. What is she going to do? Ruth chapter 1. So Naomi and Ruth, the two of them, went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was astir because of them. And the women pulled each other aside and said, Hey, is this Naomi? And Naomi said to them, Don't call me Naomi, Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me? The Almighty has brought this calamity upon me. And so Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, was there too, who returned from from the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Naomi said, Whatever, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth set out and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers, And Ruth just so happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what's going on here? Well, it's a fun story. Fun for us, not necessarily for Ruth. But it's fun because we can see ourselves in it. And one of the first things we see is this situation much like a class reunion or perhaps a family gathering or whatever you want to call it that's several years down the road and all of a sudden everybody's gathered in the park or the restaurant or reception hall or wherever and somebody walks in and everybody around them kind of like turns their head but pretends not to. You notice. You're like, oh my. And while you're having your cocktails and hors d'oeuvres or whatever, you sort of whisper, is that who I think it is? Friend's like, yeah, did you hear what happened to her? No, what? Everybody fills in all the gaps and details before they even make it through the door. And then you're like, oh, hi. You look different. And things change. And it becomes very clear through the lines on her face and the color of her hair 
and whatever has happened to her body, that she's been through a lot. This has not been an easy path for Naomi, and it shows on the outside. And as soon as she walks in the room, everybody knows she's different. But that's just what's on the outside. And as you know, going through any struggle, there's stuff going on on the inside too, even more than you see on the outside. So on the outside, her appearance has changed so much she's barely recognizable. The women are asking, can this be Naomi? Is that really her? But then it goes beyond that. And she just tells them, she just flat out admits, hey, look, don't call me Naomi. No way. Because you know what Naomi means? It means pleasant. And that is not me anymore. My life, my identity, my situation, my circumstances changed. I have gone from pleasant to bitter. The word Mara means bitter. And so she tells everybody, look, don't even call me pleasant. I don't care what you call me. Just don't call me that. Call me bitter. Because the Almighty, this is God's fault. He's in charge. He could have stopped this tragedy. It's all on him. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. I had a husband. I had children. I came back empty. No man, no men, no boys, no grandkids. The Lord has testified against me. The Almighty has brought this calamity upon me. It is Mara versus the Almighty. Miss Bitter against God. Don't raise your hands. Don't. But have you been there? In that moment in your room or in your car or wherever, and all of a sudden you see that thing going down in your life and you're like, what are you? Lord, why are you bringing this? Mara versus the Almighty. We could probably put our name in there as well. Don't call me Jeremy. Don't call me Bob. Don't call me Joe. Don't call me Jill. Call me mad. Call me mad at God because I don't like what's happening to me. Here's a struggle that we all face at some point in time. And the question then inevitably becomes, where is God in this? We say he's powerful. She says he's powerful. Why didn't he stop it? What's he doing? Where is the Almighty, the God of heaven and earth? We can recount the pages of history. For example, Naomi would have been able to say, hey, I remember how God delivered us out of Egypt. All the plagues in which he completely obliterated the gods of Egypt and humiliated them. That was almighty. I I can remember when the Lord describes to us how he led the children of Israel across the Red Sea and through the wilderness and into Jericho, smashing the walls and everything else in our paths. That was almighty. But where is he now? I find myself at this point in life sharing the same feelings as Mara. That's the God I like. Like that's the one I want. I want the one who walks in and obliterates my enemies and takes care of my trouble as soon as I say amen. Amen. Boom. Oh yeah. That's what I'm talking about. This is almighty. Check it. But you know what we also see? This Bible that we read, it's like a highlight reel. It's condensed. 
It's thousands of years of history only on a few pages. There's a lot of days and nights where the Lord doesn't show up like that. Is he still almighty? Is he still there? Is he still in control? What's he doing? Where is he at? And you look back at this book and you can ask the same question. You know, God allowed her husband to die. God allowed her children to die. God sent the famine. What's going on? Isn't God working all things together for good? This doesn't look like good. God works sometimes in the most direct and obvious ways that we see. Boom. Big miracle. Yes. But often, and I would even say most often, God works the other way. That still, quiet voice, slowly and subtly underneath the surface. Controlling the current, no doubt, and directing things where they will go, but not always where we would want. Take, for example, the part that Naomi left out. You remember Joseph? What did he do wrong? Nothing. What happened to him? His brothers hated him. He was sold into slavery. He was falsely accused. He had so many tears when he saw his family again, he couldn't contain himself. What about Jesus? He never did anything wrong. He was whipped, beaten, spit upon, hung on a cross, poor, despised, rejected. What about Jesus' followers? Oh yeah, they were also homeless, beaten, imprisoned. Wow. That looks different. Sometimes God comes in a big, powerful way, and other times he redirects. And so where's God in this? Well, here's my answer. Okay, listen carefully. Where's God in evil? Where's God in pain? What is going on? Here's what I would say. This is the shortest theodicy or explanation of evil that I can come up with. It's this. When we see something that is good and we are convinced that it is good, we can directly attribute it to God. That's good. God did it. God only does what is right and true and just. Therefore, if it is good, it is from him. But what about the bad? With the bad, we never attribute evil to God. But what we say is he directs the good and he redirects the bad. He directs the good and he redirects the bad. Like Joseph being sold into slavery. Redirects it to save his people. Like Jesus being put up on the cross. Accomplishes his plan of salvation forever and ever. Like the apostles being in prison. Spreads the gospel throughout the world. God never sends evil. But he will redirect evil. He is directly responsible for good. But he redirects the bad. So look at this then in Naomi's life. In this chapter. We'll look at it, her life and then we'll pull it back into ours. What happens here. There's evil and there's bad. There's death. There's dying. There's trouble. But with that death, with that dying, with that trouble, God redirects it for good. And so when she comes back, it just so happens. Let me say that again so you can hear the author's irony. It just so happened at just the right time, at just the right place. She meets just the right person who just might be able to help her. Over and over again, the emphatic 
hyperbole going on in this book that hardly ever mentions God directly is saying to you, look at coincidence upon coincidence and you make the call. What's happening here? No, God didn't bring her children back from the dead. No, God didn't do exactly what she wanted. But yes, God is at work. Faithful, ever-present, driven by compassion, God either directs or redirects all things for our good. Faithful, ever-present, driven by compassion, God either directs or redirects all things for our good. Let me explain for just a second what I mean by that. The first word I say is faithful. God reveals himself like that from the very beginning. You know, behold, the Lord your God, faithful God. He is always doing what's right and true and just. And it's hard for us to get there sometimes because stuff we see may not be good. But we have to believe by grace through faith without sight that God is good and he is up to something good. That's the way it works. Bad stuff happens, but God is working this together for good. God is faithful. He's ever present. Unlike all your other friends everywhere in the entire world, God is with you at every single moment in every single instance of every single day. God is there. You never go alone. I came out here this morning and I th- thought, boy, I wonder if I should bring someone with me as I talk about this issue. I'm going to be standing out there alone. No, I'm not. I'm never standing alone. That's a promise. None of us are. God is with us to the ends of the earth and he will never, ever leave us or forsake us no matter what. He is with Naomi. He is with us. He is the omnipresent, omnipotent God. And he is driven by compassion. We have to understand that because, look, we come to one or two conclusions if we get one or the other wrong. If we say, okay, God is just the Almighty, boom, he's powerful. Then we get this mean storm God who doesn't care. And if we say, oh, God is all lovey-dovey, he's just so sweet and tender, then he's just impotent Santa Claus. He can't do anything. But in reality, what we have is the perfect combination of almighty and all good. And when you put those together, they can't be stopped. Driven by compassion. If something bad comes into our life, he will redirect it. We have to believe that. If you leave it there and say, okay, it's there and it's just going to sit there, then we'll go a bad way. And we'll end up in a place we don't want to be. But by grace through faith, we believe that if something bad comes in, God will redirect it that's the way he moves the river all things for his good you heard romans earlier and it's not a cliche but it's based on the reality of our world and god's plan for eternity that we're broken and he's going to fix us it's not necessarily instant he never promises it's right away we don't get saved and march into glory we don't meet jesus in the next day all of a sudden we're perfect it doesn't work like that it's a slow growth world for some reason Unbeknownst to me, in the mystery of God, he is glorified by the struggle. And so we get to sit there and endure and believe in him as we go. We struggle and we struggle and we strive and we trust that what he has is best. And that's it. There is the struggle and the almighty, faithful, ever-present God, driven by compassion, 
directs or redirects things for our good. So what do we do with that? Well, I think at the end of the day, what that means is we become the ultimate optimist. We become the ultimate optimist. And what do I mean by that? It doesn't mean we call evil good. It never means that. There are terrible, tragic things that happen. People are victims. Got it. But what it means is this, is rather than putting a positive spin on things, that's what the, you know, that's what that self-help aisle in Barnes and Noble wants you to do. Walk down it, read it, feel better, come back, buy another book and keep doing it over and over again. That's positive thinking and only lasts for a little bit. But what the Bible is, it is beyond positive thinking to an eternal guarantee. It's not just put a positive spin on something. It is the concrete guarantee that this will turn out okay. Even if it stinks now. In the end, it'll be okay. That's the Bible's message. No matter how terrible you think your life is, this is the closest you will ever get to hell. If you are believing in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, this is the closest you will ever come. But you can be guaranteed that better is yet to come. And for whatever reason, God in his infinite wisdom has allowed us this path. He's given us the opportunity to struggle and live by faith, not by sight, and follow after him. And so that's what we do. We believe. We live by faith and not by sight. You know, the gospel, people are like, oh, the gospel, just believe in Jesus. You know, the gospel is like every day, man. Every day is believing in Jesus' resurrection. It is the hope for the future. It's the hope for the world. It's the hope for everything. It's not just the ticket out of hell. This is God's plan for the ages. And this is what Ruth, the book of, is moving towards. It's taking these terrible things in somebody's life and showing you how God is going to use it for good. You know who comes from this situation? Naomi says, I'm coming back empty. Is she empty? Who's with her? Ruth, the Moabitess, the story keeps reminding you. But then who comes from Ruth? Obed and Jesse. And who comes from Jesse? David. And who comes from David? Jesus. This is going somewhere. It's not an accident. God either directs or redirects all things for our good. And so when you come to this passage, you have to interpret in this way. You have two different warring voices going on. You have the positive and the negative. You have Ruth and Naomi. Naomi's just like, but Ruth takes a different approach. What Ruth does when Naomi shakes her fist at God is sort of steps back and says, okay, I don't know about all that. I, I, I can't explain this to you, mom. And I'm not going to offer some trite, trivial reason that I don't know yet. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and get dinner. Just for today. What do you do when someone's suffering? You come up and say, hey, I got a reason. I can explain to you what happened. Let me tell you. Or you just say, hey, can I buy you dinner? Here's Ruth. And she said, one day at a time, mom. One day at a time. I don't know about tomorrow. I don't know about yesterday. I don't know about all that. But today, 
Let's go get something to eat. I'll take care of it. Hang on, I'll be back. Now she goes. Just so happens. Just so happens. What do you know? Walks into the restaurant and there's somebody who can help her. Hmm. That's funny. Let me tell you a little story. This is so small, but I hope you'll see it as funny. Last week before the service, you know, I heard somebody cough. Amen to that. There's a little bit of colds and stuff going on. And the singer's worst nightmare is they lose their voice right before they go out. One of the people back there, (coughs) Todd McMahon, um, was standing there. And I kid you not. See, even in my pocket right now, I have two cough drops. These are honey. Way better than honey lemon. I recommend just the honey. These are honey. And I just got a stash of them, like a stash. So there's Ricola, there's honey lemon, there's mints, there's whatever. You just grab some, put it in your pocket and go. I was about to come out in just a minute. And so I pulled out something out of my pocket and I was just about to unwrap it. Todd would stand there. He's like, hey, man, do I wish I had a Ricola. I'm like, And it was funny. I mean, we're, it's not funny. Maybe it's not funny to you. It was funny to us. It's totally black back there. We can't see a thing. He had no idea. I'm like standing there holding a Ricola in my hand. He can't see anything. He's like, man, do I wish I had a Ricola. I'm like, I think this belongs to you. <laughs> and that's the way it is. Look, folks, someone walks into your life. Who knows what they need You might be standing with it there in your hand and it just so happened that God brought them to you. What are you going to do? Put it back in your pocket and turn away? I can tell you some of the biggest faith moments in our life in Canada, in Texas or wherever when someone's like, hey, I got, do you need? Wow. Here's Ruth. She doesn't know. I don't know, Mom. But I'll go get dinner. And it just so happened. It just so happened. It just so happened. Over and over again. You watch God. Ruth. It's like a fairy tale. Dinner. Leads to a date, which leads to her destiny. And Naomi's not empty. She's got the very thing she needs right there. Ever faithful, always present Ruth. The movement of the story, the note of the song, goes from funeral dirge to harvest fest. What a change. From full to empty to even fuller. God is at work. Whose voice will hold sway? That of Naomi's or that of Ruth's? The rest of the story will show us that perhaps even the bitter can be convinced, convicted, and changed. The struggle is for our good. And we think we're in it to win it, but the reality is we have no hope. 
We can't struggle hard enough or strong enough or fast enough or long enough to make it happen. It's only one who can. The Almighty. That's the nature of the gospel and that is the nature of our very existence. It is beyond positive. It's all powerful. How should I interpret the course of my life? All things for our good. Here's the struggle insured by the Almighty. Father, we thank you and praise you for your perfect work. Lord, as I preach this, I have to admit right away, I always do it. Sometimes I'm just mad. I don't like the way things go when surgeries go bad or health fails or something breaks. I pray that you forgive me for that, Lord, and help me to find you in the struggle. I know that you are faithful. I know that you are ever-present. I know that this is driven by your compassion for our good. I pray that this would go beyond knowing, the feeling, believing, living, and doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.